One of the biggest challenges to the Christian faith comes not from the outside world, but from within the Christian family. And that threat is what we might call nominal Christianity. A nominal faith is one that doesn't make much of a difference in a person's life. It's a shallow faith. It's a faith that lacks substance. It's a faith that doesn't take seriously the teachings and the expectations of Jesus Christ. We do the church a disservice if we practice this kind of faith because it certainly isn't contagious and it doesn't go far in attracting non-Christians. I think people desire something deeper and more meaningful. As a young man once said, if all my religion is going to change is my Sunday schedule, then I'm not interested. I want something that is going to change my finances, the way I work, the way I treat my family, the way I treat others, and the way I use my time. If we want to go deeper with our faith, then I think we quickly realize that it affects every part of our lives. It affects how we work and how we treat our family, friends, neighbors, and even strangers. It shapes our values and our character. It impacts how we spend our money. Now, throughout September and October, I want us to think deeply about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I want us to think deeply about discipleship. During this time, I will encourage us to take our faith seriously. That's what Jesus expects from his followers. And he makes this clear in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. In this scripture, Jesus tells his followers to count the cost of discipleship. In other words, he wants us to be totally committed to following him. If we're not, then we should go and do something else. A number of years ago, when I was in Barcelona, Spain, I visited a cathedral known as the Sagrada Familia. It doesn't look like the typical European cathedral. Frankly, I think it looks rather odd. To me, it resembles a giant, drippy sandcastle. You know what those look like? You make those castles by taking a handful of wet sand and then letting it drip down, and it creates really odd and unique-looking Uh, spires. Well, in my mind, that's what the Sagrada Familia looks like. And when I visited that church, I found that it was still under construction, and it had been that way for a long time. And that made me wonder if the builder had taken the time to consider the cost of construction. People had been working on it for well over a hundred years, which when you think about it, is an unbelievable amount of time to spend on one building. Well, the man who designed that church was the famous Antony Gaudi. Now, some people love his work, and some people think it's downright gaudy. That's where the term comes from. I think everyone agrees that his work is showy and ornamental, And the Sagrada Familia is no different with its intricate spindle-shaped towers. And it really is a sight to see. I've wondered if Mr. Gaudi ever considered how long it would take to build that church. And I've wondered if he struggled with the words of Jesus 
that we find in Luke 14, especially the words where Jesus says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Now, I imagine Mr. Gotti struggled with those words, but he also demonstrated a tremendous level of commitment. He worked on that cathedral for 43 years, and he spent the last 12 years of his life focused on nothing else. You might even say that he sacrificed his life for this project because one day in 1926, as he was walking to the job site, he was killed by a streetcar. Now, I think it's safe to say that Mr. Gaudi held nothing back. He gave his all to God, or at least gave his all to building the Sagrada Familia. But when it comes to discipleship, how are you doing with that? Is it something that you give occasional attention to? Or are you dedicated to living with an unwavering commitment to God? Now, it is a challenge to live with this kind of commitment because we live in a culture that wants instant gratification. People love to see quick results. But some things in life require time, lots of time. And that's the case with discipleship. Jesus wants his followers to invest their lives, to invest their time in discipleship. Now, we may be tempted to think of discipleship as something that can be accomplished by attending church once a week or going to an occasional Bible study. But it goes much deeper than that because discipleship is really about following Jesus every day and responding to whatever it is that the Lord asks us to do. Now, today's scripture from Luke invites us to grow in our discipleship. It invites us to deepen our faith by building our lives around three things. Commitment, sacrifice, and generosity. Let's get back in the text. Jesus begins his speech by, uh, this speech to the crowd by saying, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Now, it seems surprising to me that Jesus tells us to hate our families. Now, some of our family members may be annoying. They can be hard to love, but we try to put up with them. So what are we to make of Jesus' words here about hate? I think it's helpful to recognize that he isn't talking about hate in the sense of anger or hostility. But Jesus is trying to create a contrast that helps us see more clearly what loving God is like. I think it's similar to the way we talk about our favorite sports teams. So, for example, a person might say, I love the Washington Redskins, but I hate the Dallas Cowboys. That's me. But when we say something like that, 
I think what we're really saying is that we're committed to our favorite team and we will always support them, especially when they're playing their biggest rival. Win or lose, we will be cheering for our team. And I'll also add that when a fan says, I hate the Cowboys, what he's really saying is that he would never, ever support that team from Texas. And I think the truth of the matter is that this fan can't honestly say that he hates them because he doesn't personally know any of the players. So when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, then you have to hate your family, he wants us to be committed to him over anyone else. And that includes our family, our fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, spouse, and so on. And so if Jesus pulls us in one direction and our family pulls us in another direction, Jesus is saying, follow me. And here's the really interesting thing. When Jesus is put first, our families benefit. Husbands and wives who follow Jesus' teachings are going to be faithful. Parents who focus on Jesus are not going to live through their children in unhealthy ways. And teenagers who know that Jesus loves them aren't going to search for approval by following a dangerous crowd. When we live with a commitment to love God, we are better equipped to love the people around us and we're able to go deeper with our faith. Jesus also makes it clear that being a disciple requires sacrifice. In verse 27, he says, Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, this is about sacrifice. And the kinds of sacrifices that we will make are going to be different for each one of us. For some people, making sacrifices with time and energy are required. For others, a change in personal relationships or a change in vocation, or a change in the way that we use our money is expected. But all of us are, are, are expected to, to follow Jesus. We're all expected to see our discipleship as a full-time endeavor. See, Jesus isn't asking for part-time disciples. He's looking for people, though, who have a willingness and a commitment to sacrifice. The movie The Hurt Locker, I think, is a powerful example of what sacrifice looks like. Now, this movie takes viewers into the world of bomb disposal units in Iraq. Now, the soldiers in these units are the people who step right up to bombs and defuse them at the risk of their own lives, but for the benefit of other people. These young men and women are heroic because of the sacrifices that they are willing to make. Now, compared to defusing a bomb, the challenge of, say, sacrificing your time or your habits or your hobbies may not seem all that great. But it's still important because sacrifice is an essential part of discipleship. And Jesus drives home this point by saying, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. But this is about more than sacrifice. 
It's about generosity. And practicing generosity is a third way that we can deepen our faith. Now, everyone who wants to follow Jesus is expected to give of their time, their talents, their money, and their effort. We're to hold nothing back. We're to give God everything. Now, the irony of generosity is that it enriches us rather than depletes us. When we give to a Christian cause, we make the world a better place. When we share our time and our talents, we build up the kingdom of God in ways that would have never happened if we had kept to ourselves. When we give food to the hungry and clothes to those in need, we help people. And that leaves us feeling richer with a sense that we're leaving the world better off than the way we found it. So generosity is good for everyone involved. And let's not forget that we can't take any of our possessions with us when we die. So we might as well be generous with what we have because that's one way that we can build up future generations. So living with commitment, sacrifice, and generosity are a part of being a disciple. And when we integrate these things into our daily living, we will find that our faith is growing deeper and stronger. Let's remember that Jesus doesn't want us to have a shallow faith. And that's why he tells us to count the cost of discipleship. He calls us to be all in with our faith. I once heard a story about a middle school girl in Texas. She ran on her middle school track team. One weekend, a a bad storm rolled through town, causing the track meet to be postponed to the following Saturday. But this girl had already committed to be on a church mission trip that day. And so she went to her coach and explained the situation to him. Well, he responded to her by saying, your teammates are counting on you. You can't let them down. You are either here for the meet or you turn in your uniform because you'll be off the team. That crushed her. She went home and cried her eyes out. But after a lot of deliberation, she went back to her coach, handed him her uniform, and walked away. That evening, she explained her decision to her family and told them that this was about God. And God is more important than sports. That girl understands discipleship. She understands that our commitment to God outweighs every other priority in life. She had counted the cost of discipleship, and she was determined to go deeper with her faith. Where do you stand today with your discipleship? Is your commitment to God your top priority in your life? Or do you need to go deeper? Well, Jesus is ready to lead us there. But we have to decide for ourselves if we're willing to go. And so the question is, are you willing to put in the effort and the commitment that's needed to deepen your faith? Would you pray with me?
Lord, you invite us to follow you and to live by your commandments. You never force this on us, but you do expect your followers to be completely committed to you. Forgive us for all the ways that we've fallen short in our discipleship. And we pray today, Lord, that you will instill in us the desire to grow deeper in our faith so that we might help expand your kingdom. We lift this prayer up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you now to join with me in our, our song of response, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It's hymn number 305. I'll be here at the front of the sanctuary to meet with any of you who would like prayer or would like to share about how God is working in your life, calling you to deepen your discipleship. Well, let's stand now and sing together hymn 305.